This show is part of the Head Stuff Podcast Network. Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale of Yon McCool, Coo Cullen, Deirdre, all the sorrows grow on your wail. From giants right down to fairies, of both the trooping and solitary, and those who are sometimes scary. Anything goes by the fireside. Yeah. Fireside, the Puka Fireside, Merrow Fireside. Kings and queens fighting heroes, don't you run from the fun, there's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm-hmm. Fireside. Hello and welcome to Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. Each episode of Fireside, we take a story from folklore and mythology, we retell it, have a chat about the tale itself and about the craft, the culture and the history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. O'Lahan. I am your host and your Fireside Bard. Welcome to episode 159 of Fireside. Today on the Irish storytelling podcast, we tell the story of the fabled lost city of East, the Celtic Atlantis. But very first, we would like very first we would like to welcome any new listeners. Thank you so much for checking in. If you like this episode, why don't you head right back to the very beginning over three years ago and see what we've been building up to Fireside over the past three years and counting. And if you're a returning listener, as always, thank you so much for your continued support. Please do follow me over on Instagram if you have not done so already, at Fireside Bard. It's the best place to get in touch with me. Uh, if you're not on social media, you can always email me at thefiresidebard at gmail.com for any inquiries or even just to say hello. Uh, please order my poetry book, Garden Sea, which is available both in Kindle and paperback editions. The Kindle version is available from Amazon and the paperback from the headstuff.org website. Both links are in the description below and uh, we can ship anywhere around the world as we are sending copies off each and every week, which is fantastic to still be able to say from uh, my first self-publication I hope those that have been reading it have been enjoying it thanks to you for those who have messaged me about it uh, please do or message me on your thoughts anyone who reads it and finishes it and gets to the end um, and if you really want to support this podcast you can do so over at headstuffpodcast.com wherever as little as five euro a month although you can pay more if you want you can gain bonus access to bonus content for not just fireside but for all of the podcasts on the Headstuff Podcast Network, and there are more of them each and every month. Coming to you live uh, from Dubai still, folks. Uh, I've been here now just nearly six weeks now, so I'm nearly like halfway through the contract out here playing at the Irish Village over at the World Expo. Still having a very good time, enjoying the gig, hit a bit of a mid, mid-tour mid uh, slump with the gig. It started to become a bit of a a slog there playing six nights a week but uh got my second wind now and i'm very happy with the set managed to get more and more irish folk tales and stories into it so i've really been able to craft the gig to how exactly i would like it which is really nice um enjoying working in the sunshine but the dubai is a is a mad out place uh, it's a strange 
definitely one of the stranger countries I've been in. But uh, very grateful to be working again and uh, delighted to see now that Ireland has opened back up as of this week, not to date this podcast too much. But I suppose it now has become a time capsule of the pandemic, considering that I have people messaging me who have been listening to episodes from the outbreak in March of 2020 when everything started to lock down first where I'm recording saying I hope people listening in six months or a year are remembering this as a distant memory Uh, so we won't be so bold as to jinx that any further Um, but it's really nice that there is will hopefully a much brighter Ireland to return home to when I do Um, so the story for this week is I found this new great source. So I had said that while I'm exploring Grand Whale uh, on the legend episodes, I wanted to focus on folklore, folk tales of the sea, and uh, to kind of create this tapestry of the world that Grania Whale was in and because there's never been more superstitions I would probably say than of superstitions of sailors and pirates from sea monsters to legends of ghost ships and just on sea gods and everything so it just seemed like a thing that there would be plenty to explore. Now of the sources that I already had I had actually covered a lot of the tales from the books. I covered uh, the Sea Maiden last time, which I think was one of the last ones. But we'd already done ones like the Wonderful Tune on the Marrow and the Soul Cages and a few others throughout, like Sean the Bonoiga and even Gold Tree and Silver Tree. We've had stories about voyages and trips abroad and of the sea. So I found this book called uh, A Treasury of Folklore of Seas and Rivers, it's sirens, selkies, and ghost ships. It is by is by writers D. D. Cheney and Willow Winsham. I'll put a I'll put a link in the description below. But rather than being a collection of stories, it is more in the lines of the books on Irish trees and birds and animals that I had by Nan McQuitor, which is more it's it's more con- compendium of lore rather than breaking down of uh, stories. But it's really, really uh, fascinating, and it's a really easy, really fun read. Um, I absolutely flew through it. Now, I had been hoping that there would be more specifically Irish stuff in it. There was actually relatively little um, uh, tales and lore from Ireland specifically, but there was a lot of Celtic and European and worldwide stuff. And I kind of came to this idea that we're we're dealing with the sea here and we're dealing with if we're trying to cre- recreate a tapestry of the world that Grania Whale occupied particularly in the 16th century then so much of this world lore would have been known I mean there's frequent tales of 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 Grania Whale fighting Algerian pirates you know the the world the world was getting smaller and so with that in mind starting from Ireland I didn't feel any uh any hesitance uh, as much in exploring around and just filling in uh, this world that you would li- have lived in from like tales of like why are they called the seven seas and other legends and monsters that were meant to be around and that you might encounter and that just feels like it would be more in keeping and and that makes this quite a nice thing that makes me a, a thing that I'm quite excited to explore and um, so with that in mind the story for this week 
is a, it is a Celtic tale, but it's a part of the Celtic world that we have not explored at all yet, which is Brittany. It is a Breton tale. So the Bretons, uh, the, the Breton language is the last Celtic language that is spoken on the mainland of Europe. And rather than being from ancient Gaul, considering it's still in, on the west coast of France, uh, they were actually said to have been Cornish and Manx uh, pe- pe- Celts from Britain who then went over and then hence why it was called Breton and then Brittany. And so this was like either a Cornish tale or a Breton tale. But when I read this one, I it immediately captured my imagination. I just loved it straight away. It wasn't something I'd encountered at all really before. And I just had to do my own version of it. It flowed very nicely, and I'm excited to share it. This is at the Lost City of East. We'll chat more about it. This is the Celtic Atlantis on Fireside. The Celtic Atlantis. There are stories of lost cities and moving islands in the folklore of every country around the world. Undoubtedly the most famous being the continent of Atlantis, which supposedly was submerged beneath the waves of the Atlantic Ocean after falling out of favour with the Greek gods. In Ireland there was the legendary island of High Brazil, the island of the Blessed, which only appeared once every seven years and was pursued by St. Brendan the Navigator. There was the island of Kilstufin, which also only appeared as infrequently as High Brazil, but to see Kilstufin was said to bring bad luck for seven years. But for the Celts there was also a sort of Atlantis, and it wasn't off the coast of Ireland, or Scotland, or even Wales, The Celtic Atlantis was said to lay off the west coast of Brittany, the only part of mainland Europe where a Celtic language is still spoken today. This was the lost city of Ys. Gradlon was a king of Brittany who fell in love with a woman who was said to be half of the other world. Together they had a daughter named Dahut. The king adored his daughter, and wanted to give her whatever in the world she dreamed of. Dahut grew up with a great love for the sea, and so King Gradlon had a city built off the coast of Brittany, and the city was named Ys. Because Ys was on low land right on the coastline, a dike was built around the city to prevent it from flooding. Even with this dike, the harsh waves of the channel frequently threatened the lives of the inhabitants of Ys. Fortunately, the city had been built to withstand the power and rot of the salt waves. As long as whenever the floods rose, the gates of Ys were locked, the city and its people were safe. And there was only one key to the city, and it permanently hung round the neck of King Gradlon. Despite, or perhaps because, Dahut had been given everything she could ever dream of, the princess grew into a wicked, greedy, and bloodthirsty adult, and she encouraged all other inhabitants of the city to behave in the same debaucherous way. Ys made its money through trading, but this was not enough for Dahut. The princess had her father secure a dragon for the city, 
which attacked and destroyed ships as they sailed by. The booty from these shipwrecks would then be brought into the walls, and soon East became the most wealthy city in Brittany. The Hoot also kept many lovers, and when she grew bored or dissatisfied with any of them, Dahut would murder them. There was a saint within the walls of Is who pleaded with Dahut to repent and to live a more pious life, but the rich and powerful young woman was having far too much fun and wasn't about to listen to some stuffy old cleric. One particularly stormy evening, a knight dressed in red silks arrived to East just before the gate was closed for the night. He immediately came to Dahut's attention, and the princess had the knight summoned to her chambers. After she had had her way with him, Dahut found that in this red knight she may have finally met her match. As the storm raged outside, the knight seemed concerned. No need to fear, Dahut told her lover. As long as the gate is closed, this city is impregnable from any storm. And the only way the gate can be opened is with one single key. And my father is the only one with that. The knight grinned smugly. So, what you're saying is that you hold no power of your own. Dahut was not a woman to be disrespected. She felt a fire in her eyes brighter than the night's silk. But the night continued. If your father has the key, then he is the only one who controls whether the souls of this city live or die. Dahut then matched the night's smug grin. I have got men like trout for saying far less than that. And I may disembowel you yet, but first I want to see the look on your face. The princess got dressed and exited the chamber. She crept down the corridor into the bedroom of the king, and using the light fingers that aided Dahut's penchant for thievery, she took the key from around her father's neck without so much as a stir. Dahut then returned to her own chamber, where the knight was still waiting. Here, she said as she handed the large key to the knight. Now it is I who control the lives of the people of Is. The knight smiled again, but much darker than before. It was a more menacing smile than Dahut had ever seen. Oh no, princess. It is I who will decide the fate of Is, and as you have made this a wicked place full of sin, I am here to take the lives and the souls of every mortal here. The Red Knight revealed himself to be the devil, and as the Hoot stared in disbelief at having been outwitted and deceived for the first time in her entire life, the devil left the chamber, went down with the key, and opened the gates of East. The moment there was a crack in the threshold, the colossal waves outside splintered the doors off their hinges, and East began to flood. The king was awoken and summoned his magical horse that had been gifted to him by Dahut's mother. 
There was no time to question what had happened and who was to blame. The king went to his daughter's room, took Dahut to where the horse was, and the two began to escape from the flood that was dragging their beloved city beneath the waves. But as King Gradlon rode hard out of East, he heard the voice of the city's saint in his head. The saint told the king that it had been Dahut who had been the city's destruction, and that as long as she was alive, she would bring ruin to whatever and whoever she encountered. The king still loved Dahut, even though he regretted the woman she had grown into. He wondered had he done this to her by spoiling her. But then the king thought of all of the innocent lives that Dahut had cost that night. And without thinking too much more about it, Gradlon threw his daughter from the horse and into the depths of the waves. Into the sea, Dahut had always claimed to love. King Gradlon was the only survivor of the destruction of Is. He settled in France and there is a statue of him that still stands today in the commune of Kaimper. But some say that the Hoot did not drown, and that she was turned into a mermaid and cursed to live forever, swimming around the wreckage of her beloved sunken city to warn sailors and fishermen to live a more righteous life. Some even believe that the wreck of East has since moved, having been sighted off the coast of Cornwall. And still today, bells can be heard at sea. The bells of the lost city of East, the Celtic Atlantis. The End <laughs> This is how it's always been. Double Love is a podcast in which we explore the strange and terrifying world of Sweet Valley High, book by book. Join me, Anna Carey. And me, Karen Moynihan. As we revisit one of the maddest series of books ever written or ghostwritten. If you ever read about Elizabeth and Jessica, the perfect blonde Wakefield twins, then you might enjoy listening to us absolutely tearing them to shreds. Affectionately, of course. Of course. And even if you didn't, there's still plenty of drama, kidnapping, stolen boyfriends and school dances to entertain you. Find us on the Headstuff Podcast Network and wherever you get your podcasts. And that is the tale of the of the lost city of East, the Celtic Atlantis on Fireside. And I hope you all enjoyed it. I hope you can see immediately why this this story grabbed my attention. There's something, it's it naturally is almost biblical because it is a story, There's there is a moral to it, you know, it is about... It is about hubris and about a wicked and indulgent life and the moral being to lead a more pious and righteous life, or certainly that's one reading, one clear reading of it. But there's something just very, very captivating I found about the character of Dahut. And I it was her that really grabbed my attention and why I really, really liked it. Possibly because we are doing Grania Whale as well, and one of the most interesting things I found in the biography of Grace O'Malley is 
how untrustworthy the rumors and legends of her sexual exploits are. I mentioned this a little bit in the last episode because while Grania Well was said to very much be a, a male sailor's kind of pirate and that she really enjoyed indulging in gambling and was very much like at home with the men of her sea, she was also said to take many, many lovers. But when there is so little about her in the annals of Irish history and so much of what we ha- know about Grace O'Malley is from the English annals, her the rumours of her sexual exploits was the thing that was used to often defame and lessen the legend of women of the time that was considered a criticism of them. So it's something that has to be treated a little bit more carefully even though we don't need to view it as that at the time, it certainly needs to be kept in mind when you do hear stories about the exploits in that fashion of Grania Whale that many at the time would have been used to defame her character and weren't being used as a good thing, or even just like a non, even not necessarily good or bad thing, they were definitely being used as a bad thing rather than just another interesting attribute to her character. And so with Princess Dahut, you have a similar kind of thing. You know, there's a reading of it where you could say this is just, uh, there's a misogyny or a sexism to, to the story and uh, that this is just another in, in bolstering stereotypes of wicked, wicked and deceitful women of a certain time in, in history and in folklore and mythology. But I don't think, I certainly don't think you need to view it that way and that's certainly not how I looked at it or read it and certainly didn't try to put in my adaptation of this because I still really liked Stout and it made her such an interesting character. Uh, there was There's a meat to her as a character and I love this idea of her taking the devil as a lover and the devil being the only one who she could find her match in. I adored that so much and her having this almost Daenerys Targaryen uh, dragon detail which i found actually in another version of it that that wasn't in the version in the in the book that i researched it from it's just another version i looked at on youtube um that mentioned that she got this dragon to protect the city and these were all just really nice nice little details of it but stories of east have circulated or certainly have been written down since the 12th century for sure so when grania whale is sailing in the 1600s and she is around this very much part of the Celtic world of Gaelic Ireland, it is almost certain that this is a city and this is a story that she would have known. And that really makes it feel like we are on the right track here, trying to get more of a sense of the world of Grania Wales, especially the world of the sea and the rivers that she devoted so much of her life to. At the beginning, I talked a little bit about High Brazil and Kilstuffin. Now, High Brazil is a, is an island that I do want to do a story on. I haven't found one suitable yet, uh, just more like details about it, but that's, that's something I will go on next. I might just do an episode on St. Brendan the Navigator. Naturally, I, I, I'm a bit more careful when I'm doing stories about Christian saints and all because it isn't exactly the same. Um, I was able to lean a lot more heavily into St. Kevin, knowing that bit more about him as in be- from being from Wicklow and him being one of my namesakes. Um, and there was a huge amount of mythology associated with 
Saint Kevin, and uh, he's he features very very heavily in in my book of Garden Sea. I kind of consider him the patron saint of Garden Sea, but in a much more primal Celtic uh, pagan way. But St. Brennan is very, very interesting as well. When I did Celtic Nights in America and Norway, we did a song. It's more of a comedy song. It was called St. Brennan's Fair Isle about this journey that St. Brennan made from County Kerry to try and find this island of High Brazil. And there was part of the legend of that, that they thought they'd found the island and it was actually just a great big whale. So there might be something in that uh, to explore. Um, And its biblical nature shouldn't totally exclude it, especially if it's is a very important element of sea mythology and sea folklore in Ireland. Kilstuffin was not an island I'd heard of, this one that appears every seven years, much like High Brazil, but it brings bad luck to anyone who sees it. That's not an island I'd ever encountered before, before this book on the treasury of folklore on seas and rivers. I've tried to find out a little bit more about it. It's just mentioned in one sentence in that book, but I'm looking forward to uh, trying to find out a bit more about that. If that's something any of you have heard of, please do let me know, of course. And I wouldn't even totally rule out um, talking a little bit about more about Atlantis, because Atlantis, much like how when I started Fireside and thought that the vast majority of Irish people, certainly of my generation, would know the names of Cúchulán and Fionn McCool, but wouldn't necessarily know any of their stories. I would imagine that Atlantis is a similar enough kind of thing. Greek mythology would be one of the mythologies I would know a bit more about. It's the, it's the mytho- world mythology that has been with me since I was very, very young. It's definitely the reason that I was into mythology in the first place. Um, and Atlantis is a Greek myth um, because... Atlantis was meant to be the great enemy of Athens, and Athens was favoured by the gods, uh, particularly by Athena, and that that is the reason that Atlantis fell out of favour and was submerged beneath the waves. But uh, considering we haven't done any Greek myths at all, and we are focusing on the sea, I wouldn't rule it out either of, uh, of having a story about Atlantis itself. They, um, of the stories I have found, the stories of the lost and the sunken cities have been some of my favourites so far. So I will obviously mix it up um, and get some variety because we want, we want stories about monsters, we want stories about the rivers, the seas. It doesn't all just have to be lost, sunken cities. But they are, there is something particularly interesting about them, isn't there? Or certainly there is to me, and I hope you all agree, Dipping our toe into Brittany as well is another very interesting thing because when you think, or when I have thought of the Celtic world, naturally in my Irish way, I think almost exclusively of Ireland with Scotland and Wales and some <clears throat> Cornish and Manx lore in there as well, although we haven't had any, any real Cornish or Manx folklore either. But I had totally forgotten about, Brett, about Brittany and about the Breton culture, and that's something I know little to nothing about So this has been a really nice introduction to that and nice to know that that can now come under our umbrella of Celtic folklore and mythology. So it'll be interesting to see if if I find anything else to do with that. Uh, But overall, just really, um, this this can be sometimes my favourite thing on Fireside where I at times can see very far ahead and at times it's, it's week by week. And naturally, at the moment, because I'm over over in Dubai and I'm working an awful lot, 
Um, I'm a little bit more short-sighted about where Fireside is going. I obviously know I'm going to be doing Raw New Whale for a while. But then this idea of doing exclusively sea folklore kind of just came naturally uh, when I decided to go back to doing the folktales on every alternate week. And I'm really happy I have because this is something that's really exciting to me now, probably because it has been s- such a recent discovery. And I think there's going to be a lot here, uh, certainly what I've read so far. And it's really, really interesting stuff. I feel really invigorated for it again, which is always a good feeling because Fireside, the the demands of it, of researching and writing and recording and editing and releasing it every week uh, is one of my favorite things about it, but it is an awful lot. Uh, it, it can be a big drain, especially w- w- holding down a full-time job as well. So it's really nice to get that sense of excitement again, which which happens the odd time and then just keeps me through any time it can feel like a slog, which is rare enough, but naturally like any demand on your life, whether it be self-imposed or not, it's something that is constantly hanging over you. So it's really nice to, as I say, feel that invigoration again. And with that, I will wrap things up. But thank you all so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the tale of the lost city of East, the Celtic Atlantis. Let me know any of your thoughts and queries and questions and comments. Next week, we will return to Grace O'Malley. We will, uh, we will discuss her second husband, uh, the birth of her child with that husband who would become probably her most significant child for better or for worse. And we may finally... Uh, start to engage with the socio-political element of her life that came through her part in the rebellions of Ireland, culminating in her meeting with Queen Elizabeth I. There is so much more to come with Grania Whale. And that is all to come next week. Uh, So please do follow me over on Instagram if you haven't done so already. Follow me or uh, email me at thefiresidebard at gmail.com. Subscribe to Headstuff Plus on headstuffpodcast.com. The links are in the description below for all of those. Order my book, Garden Sea. Wherever you live around the world, we can deliver it to you. Paperback is available on the headstuff.org website, and the Kindle version is available from Amazon. Um, I'll see you all. You'll hear me next time. And remember, wherever you are and wherever you go, you can always join me by the fireside. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.